Hello, my name is Claudia Thompson. I am a client relationship officer and pension administrator with CFAL, and I will be hosting this episode titled The Value of a Pension. I'm joined in studio today with our expert panel, Sophia Thurston, Vice President of Pension Administration and Operations, and Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments. What is a pension plan? Pension plans are promises made by both public and private sector employers to their employees. A pension obligation is a little like debt. It's something a company or a government has to pay off in the future. Pension obligations grow when interest rates fall. Lower rates of return on investments mean that it's harder to earn returns on plan assets. In our discussion today, we will cover several topics regarding pensions, both in general terms and as they relate to the Bahamian economy. So let's get right into it. So pensions in the private sector versus pension in the public sector. Discuss, what do you think are the main differences? Well, I think the primary main difference in the two is the employer. So for instance, in the public sector, public corporations, the government is the employer. And in the private sector, uh, you have private sector owners that are the sponsors for the pension plan. Okay, I think uh, public sector pension is available to individuals that work for both quasi and local government. And this includes like the police force and the defense force. And these programs are referred to as defined benefit retirement plans where participants receive a regular monthly amount, which is determined by past salaries and years of service. A private pension plan is one offered by employees that work for a company but not every business has a private pension. Those who have a private pension contribute their earnings, which they receive after retiring or terminating from the company. So would you say that one is better than the other, public versus private? No, not, not necessarily. I think with the public sector, you have predominantly defined benefit contribution plans, and we will get into that um, a little later, as opposed to the private sector that predominantly has defined contribution uh, pension planned. And so there's no real difference. There are differences in the two types of plans, but then one pension vehicle is not considered better than the other, private versus public. So would they be managed differently or maybe managed the same way? It all depends. So, for instance, a defined benefit plan in the public sector is somewhat the same as defined benefit plan in the private sector, uh, vice versa. Defined contribution plan in the public sector is managed similar to uh, defined contribution plan in the private sector. There are some um, other issues like your investment strategy, uh, the, con the contribution match rate, those things may differ across plans. But overall, in terms of the type of plan, they're basically the same. So Sophie, just a very quick, you know, definition of a DB or defined benefit versus a DC or defined contribution before we get into it deeply, but just so our listeners could know, you know, a basic definition or a difference between the two. Okay, so as mentioned, the defined benefit plans are governed really by a formula. And so your benefit is defined. Whereas the defined contribution plan, the contribution rates are defined. And so um, the participant doesn't know the exact amount of the benefit 
that they will receive that at the end of the day. Their contribution rates are defined. So if it's a 5-5 match, they know what they are contributing to the plan. So the DB is kind of, for a better term, old school, where it's based on your salary, your years of service. When you retire, you get XYZ each month. And then the DC is, okay, you're putting in something and your employer is matching it and you're getting something at the end, but you're not sure what, Yes, depending on investment. Right, okay. you're going to have an investment and it is going to provide you with returns and those returns could fluctuate. So yes, you don't have an exact number of what you can estimate, um, but you're not going to know that number. Whereas in a defined benefit plan, you know the number. So would you, okay, so me looking at it, why would I have to go and put something towards my pension, whereas say my parents didn't, and they were, you know, they just retired and then they got this payment based on their years of service, but now, you know, you guys say that things are shifting towards the match. Um, is it beneficial to me or is it beneficial to the company? Initially, the, like you mentioned, the defined benefit was the traditional. They call that pension plan. And over the last 25 to 30 years, there's, a, there's been a shift away from the defined benefit to defined contribution because the defined benefit is more expensive. Um, it's subject to volatility. Um, and also it was costing companies a lot in terms of those had to, that had to report it on their balance sheet. And initially when the defined contribution plan came about, it was like a supplement to the defined benefit, but it ended up being the plan of choice um, for, for companies because it's like, a, like Sophie mentioned, a pay as you go. So whereas the risk of, 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 of the earnings for the defined benefit plan is on the employer, the risk for the defined contribution plan is on the employee. And so that's the shift. So to your question about whether our, our parents paid uh, pension contribution before, it all depends on the type of plan. So if they had a plan was, was considered non-contributory, where the employer contributed, but they didn't contribute it, then that would be one of those either defined benefit plan or even a defined contribution plan where the only contributory was the employer and not the employee. Also, I think today um, most private companies offer defined contribution plans. So there isn't a choice when you um, sign up with a com company. If they have a pension plan, most likely it's the defined contribution plan. And um, some of them have it mandatory, some have it optional. Um, so when you sign in, you definitely will have to contribute. Whereas back in the day with our parents, my mom was a teacher. There was, it was just a defined benefit plan. So um, most local and quasi-government was defined benefit. And like Pam mentioned, they have now... Um, converted most of them to defined contribution plan because of the cost. Okay, understood. I'm sure we'll get into it some more. But it leads into my next question, which is, is there any legislation in the Bahamas regarding pensions? So is it mandatory at this time? No. I think and that's one of the challenges um, with pension legislation is not mandatory. So for those who... Uh, issue a pension plan to their employees, uh, the management of that plan will be based on their mandate, the mandate that is agreed by the sponsor on how that plan um, will, be, will be governed. So the sponsor is the company? 
Who, okay, so if I worked for, say, a bank, the sponsor would be the bank? Yes. Okay. So it's just up to the companies at this time. There's nothing that, no mandatory guidelines by the government. So everybody can kind of do what they see fit for what's best for their company. Yeah, in regard to private plans. So back in 2012, uh, an act was tabled in the House of Assembly for Employees Pension Fund Protection Act. However, that got stalled. And so as a result today, we still have no legislation for private pensions. However, the Public Service Pension Plan under Chapter 43 of the Statute Laws of the Bahamas is a non-contributing plan. And the purpose of the plan is to award pension and gratuities to public officers. So they have something in place. Oh, well, I guess it's the benefit to be a government employee, right? <laughs> yeah, and actually with the, the, the employee pension fund protection bill in, of 2012, they, it didn't include um, government workers. So they were excluded from, from that. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't, like Sophie mentioned, it wasn't mandatory. And so persons who probably needed um, would need a pension in their later years in life, would have been excluded um, from that benefit to help them later on um, in life. Mm -hmm. So would you think that legislation is a necessary step that we should pursue? I think we should consider it because I look at pensions as a social safety net, right? Something to help persons, particularly the older persons, when they retire to have something to, to live on. And without that legislation, then persons don't offer, and persons don't offer a pension plan. It's like you can work, let's say you work for a company for 20 years. You're a loyal worker and you work for that company for 20 years and you are at the age of retirement. When you hit that age, they, they could give you something to say thank you, but they don't have to. You're just gone. And then you would start to collect your national uh, insurance um, payment or contribution. But if there was a pension plan where there was a match with the company and the, uh, the employer and the employee contributing to a pension plan, then when you walk away after working to a company for so many years, then you can have something uh, to help you during those years when you don't have the strength or the energy to work as you did in times before. So is offering a pension plan an added financial burden to the employer? You know, those in the private sector, would they consider a mandatory pension plan something that's a burden to them? Yes, definitely. So um, because of the match, um, that's a pension expense. That's an expense to the employer. Um, I mean... I think overall, I mean, if the company looked at the expense, it's not a great expense. Some companies offer between 1% to 5%. And because Bahamians are not accustomed to saving for retirement, they will tend to go with the lower rate and choose maybe 1% or 2%. And the, the company is just matching the amount that they are putting in. Um, now, on the defined benefit plan, that cost can be significant. Um, because when we looked at uh, a number of our plans, they are underfunded. And so the company actually has to make up that funding, and then they normally have to increase the contributions. And one client we met with recently, the actuary was um, indicating an increase in contributions of 19.7%. And so when you compare that to the 5-5 five, five match, that's significant. And is that due to lower returns due to the pandemic, the economic climate, or just 
time. It's due to lower returns. So as, as the interest rates have decreased over time, um, companies have had to put in more contributions. I, I do think, like Sophie say, it's an added cost, but I think the social commitment benefit outweigh the costs um, in, the, in the long term. But I think there needs to be reform um, in pensions across the board, even in national um, insurance, because it's a social safety net that can help us uh, down the road. So, for instance, we have this pandemic, and governments around the world are throwing everything at this pandemic for citizens and for businesses, right? And so they're doing that now, but on the other side of this, governments around the world are going to increase taxes, right? And so when you have that social safety net to help that government doesn't have to always come in, then you maybe it will save you in taxes you know, down the road because um, they're getting support from the private sector in the form of a pension to help um, persons along the way. Australia and other countries around the world during the pandemic um, allowed persons to take out at least about 20% of their pension um, benefits in order to help them during these difficult times um, of COVID-19. So I think there, there has to be a reform and, and try to probably even tie in private pension with national insurance, so to speak, not government managing it, but match it. So do you see employers being more lenient with allowing withdrawals during this pandemic for local pension plans? Well, that's always a sticky question, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to bring, that's, that's bring always, a question or two. Right, that's always a very <laughs> sticky question. And, and the, because, like I said, there's no pension um, legislation, the rules vary. And I know persons say, well, you know, your pension uh, assets should be for retirement. But um, because we don't have that legislation, we have flexibility. And sometimes there are serious cases like medical expenses or, or major investments. Like when we had the hurricane a few years ago, a lot of persons' homes were destroyed and they didn't have the insurance or maybe they had the insurance, but they didn't have the deductible. And so, you know, they they presented a case to their employer and in some cases they allowed them to dip into their pension assets in order to help them. So on the one hand, while we need legislation to govern pensions so that it could be there for retirement, the fact that we don't have legislation, it's a help sometimes when people need the funds because we are not saving and to have a pension is a, is a form of forced savings, which is still good overall. Yeah, so I saw a number of plans where persons had to dip in um, as you did, Claudia. <laughs> I saw they, a few of you. <laughs> they had to actually amend um, the plan rules to allow an exception for this hardship withdrawal um, during the pandemic. Um, and so like Pam indicated, it was great that the savings were there so that people could access something, you know, when there was no else to turn. I agree. I think that... A uh, pension has really been a saving grace for a lot of people during this time, and the employers being, you know, understanding somewhat has, has helped greatly. Do you see any type of benefits to the employer for offering a pension plan to their employees? I know it can be a financial burden, but are there any benefits that you see? Um, yes. Um, so the person looking for a job out there, if there's a company offering salary, plus a pension plan, plus insurance benefits, versus a company just offering a salary. Um, the person looking for the job most likely will choose the one with the benefits. Um, so having the retirement benefit 
is an advantage for companies. So why should I, as an employee, have to contribute a percentage of my salary to my pension when my parents never had to do this? When they retired, they just started receiving their pension payments each month. I know we talked a little bit about this with the defined benefit versus the defined contribution. Is it a burden to the employee? Is the employer trying to share the burden now? What are your thoughts on this? Do you see things changing anymore? Are they getting... Are the contributions increasing, decreasing? What do you see the future being for the pension plans well, in this there, country? There's definitely a shift away from the defined benefit. And, and like we mentioned, because of the cost um, involved, and con companies are trying to reduce the overall cost. So there definitely is a shift um, in defined benefit plans. And so with the defined contribution plan, a pay-as-you-go plan, then there's a match there's a match. So the employer pays five and the employee pays five or, or higher or lower, whatever the case uh, may be. And I think that's, a, that's an, an equitable distribution to help persons because really, um, and we say to persons a lot, you know, you go and some companies have pensions voluntary and a lot of young people don't take advantage of it because they say, I can't afford it. Uh, but we try to sit them, that's free money. Really, your, your, your employer is, in essence, just giving five, let's say 5%, 5% of your salary towards a fund for you. And because I, I, I hop on this no legislation, when you leave, you can take it with you. So it's a forced saving, and it's also a really good benefit um, to have. And so I think it's an equitable distribution to have the employee putting something into this bucket and the employer as well putting something into this bucket. So we talked a little bit about this, but how have pension plans been affected by the coronavirus pandemic? We talked about, you know, allowing hardship withdrawals, but what about interest rates? What about returns? What about, you know, just funding in general? What, what have you ladies seen? Yeah, well, definitely from a valuation perspective, um, pension plans, at at least at the beginning of the pandemic, with all that volatility in the market, um, and so returns were down, and um, in the U.S., it ended up being up about 16% in 2020. But in our local stock market, equities was down 6.23%. So on a valuation um, basis, there was volatility. And so persons lost value um, in terms of their portfolio, pension portfolio. And then also persons didn't have jobs. And so they weren't contributing um, to the pension plan. And so that also affect um, pension plans. And then... Uh, during that time, if you had to, if you had to pay out redemptions or you have to pay monies out, then you would have to force sell, and then you're selling at a lower value in the market if the market was down, and so that also affected pension plans. So overall, the uncertainty, the volatility brought on by uh, the COVID-19 um, uh, virus has really affected um, pension plans on evaluation. But we encourage persons that. Um, if you have a long-term outlook, and pension plans are long-term um, to a certain extent in that um, for persons who are younger and have more years to retirement, then you know don't be too alarmed by the short-term volatility. Now, if you are someone that's retiring um, in 2020 or retiring shortly thereafter, then you may have some concern if your assets are uh, invested in volatile-type investments. Yes, so from a contribution point of view, there are quite a number of plans that were affected. Businesses stopped, and so a number of companies had to take a contribution holiday. 
But as the economy is beginning to rebound, we see a number of those companies coming back and saying, let's resume contributions. Um, while they may not be able to catch up for the periods that have passed, it's good that you know now we are seeing companies coming back and starting to contribute again, those that have ceased. So they're getting back on track. Yes. The Minister for National Insurance announced that the board was considering a contribution increase. What are your thoughts on this? Well, my position is national insurance contributions are tax on earnings by their employer and employee to build up entitlement to certain state benefits down the road. So it's a tax. And I really believe when you are talking about increasing taxes, that should be accompanied with increasing benefits. And so I don't think um, you should just increase uh, for the sake of increasing or because you feel that you had to do a major payout. So persons who are contributing to national insurance should see some improvements in benefits. And I think also national insurance needs to look at its own structure and ways to, to make it more efficient um, and use technology to make it more productive um, because we should be able to go online and see our national insurance statements online to see, to, to confirm whether our employer is in fact paying the national insurance um, contributions. I know there were a lot of cases where they said that um, persons lined up to collect uh, benefits during this time and their employer wasn't paying. But if they, were, if they had easy access to their national insurance statement, then they could go online and ensure that they can see their contributions and they can see information about their, their national insurance plan online. And then persons should be able to go online to access some of the services. So I think there are some things that national insurance definitely has to do to help with making themselves more efficient, reducing cost, um, and then they could, as a part of the a total reform, look at, at probably um, how do you reform the contribution um, rates and stuff like that, as opposed to just resorting to increasing that tax on Bohemian payers because you feel that you, you paid out a lot of funds. I agree. I agree. We are now in a digital age, and I think, um, you know, during COVID, it taught us a lot of lessons, and the number of persons that were lined up for checks in this time um, was unfortunate, you know, and so I think one of the reforms they may consider is digitizing um, so that, you know, persons can receive their funds by wire or, you know, online as opposed to having to be standing up and waiting. Um, also with the contributions, you know, a number of um, employers are behind and there should be a means where these contributions can be sent in um, by wire and easily tracked and so that if um, an employer is behind, an email is sent to follow up quickly so that it, you know, when it comes time for these benefits to be claimed, the beneficiaries aren't left with their hands with nothing because that happened in a number of situations. Persons, the money is coming out of their salaries, but the employer wasn't paying it to NIV. And so as a result, there was nothing for them to get until those contributions were caught up. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. And I agree. I think that things can be modernized for national insurance. They've shown, the government has shown that they can do it with, you know, filing for VAT, business license. They've updated their system. So I think it's just where national insurance now has been so much in the spotlight. Maybe, you know, some light will be 
shed on updating their services as well. And one um, suggestion, even on the as a part of a reform. See, I don't, I don't go, I don't agree with persons coming into a room on a one-sided basis, like national insurance or the government coming in saying, "I think we need to increase taxes." I think you should have a collaborative effort with persons, with employers, you know, um, um, the government and and the stakeholders, and talk about it and work it through. And one of the considerations is to have a tiered system um, for the contribution, for national insurance um, contribution. So right now, I think the ceiling right now is about $675, and it increases every two um, years. And so employees pay 3.9%. Employers match that with 5.9%. So maybe what they would do is have a base, like... Let's say let's say we we're in keeping with the three point nine percent on the six seventy five, and then if you make over six seventy five to a um, per week, so let's say I'm just using a number of by heart right now. Let's say a thousand dollars, right? Then you would pay and they would do an extra one percent on that. And if you over a thousand dollars, then you pay 05 percent on that. And then like that, you would have a more equitable. Um, contribution uh, rate across the board. Because right now, if you're making $675 or less, 3.9% of your salary is going towards national insurance. If you're making over $675, less than that is going to national insurance. So it's definitely not equitable. And so it hurts the persons on the lower uh, spectrum of the salary scale than it does the higher. So maybe something that to consider is to have a tiered system um, where you can have it more equitable. But again, I don't think that should come without reform in national insurance itself. Also, there should be reform in terms of government's involvement with national insurance. Um, we got the national insurance system from the UK. It was not groundbreaking here. They were doing it there. We got it here. National insurance is a line item on their budget. It's a revenue line item on their budget. It's part of the government overall revenue streams. We don't have it as a line item, but we operate with it as a line item because successive administration has used national insurance monies as a part of their fiscal strategy and their fiscal spend. So I give you an example. There's a building on the intersection of Charlotte and Shirley Street. I think it's the Clarence Abeam building, right? That building was condemned. Government owned that building. It was condemned. What did the government do? Sold it to national insurance. Now, maybe it was good for government because it raised some monies, but it's not bad, it's not good for national insurance because now they are holding an asset that is condemned, that's not generating any revenue at all. And we couldn't do anything about that. That's the decision that was made on the governmental level. So I think there needs to be some reform on national insurance and use national insurance as a state benefit, for its intended purposes, a state benefit, uh, pension, unemployment benefit, sickness and disability allowances. And I think it will be better off. And then on, a, on top of that, you know, in the UK again, where it's used, then the contribution that comes in for, for national insurance is also used for their national health insurance. And so you get all of that and you use that. So when they get their national insurance contribution, is used for the state, the unemployment, sickness, disability, and for health. 
And I think we can do that because I think the reason why we are not having pension reform in the country is because they, they think of it as being too expensive. Pension is expensive because that's another set of funds coming out of your salary, right? So you have, and they want to, they want to bring on national health insurance. And in doing that, they want to take another set of money. So they will say it will start at 1%, but we know it's not going to be there. And then before you know it, you're taking these separate little money um, amounts out of your salary. Whereas I think we can combine it like it's done in the UK, where the contributions that we give for national insurance go towards national insurance, the benefits we currently get, as well as for health. And then we can have a mandatory pension that we can supplement with national insurance, um, um, the national insurance contribution. So we're going to pick this up in the next segment. I have two follow-up questions for you next time, Pam. Thank you so much, ladies, and we'll catch you next time.